Okay, well, we're turning again this morning to the Galatian epistle and uh, chapter 2. Reach the point in this uh, letter, chapter 2 of the Galatian epistle, reminding ourselves that, uh, of course, this was a letter that Paul wrote and therefore didn't actually have chapters to it. And the theme throughout chapter 1 and 2 is, uh, is the same. As we go into 3 and 4, that's slightly different. And again, chapter 5 and 6, again, there are differences. But um, So it's divided up very well. But here we are in the second chapter of uh, the book of Galatians. And I'm reading from the, uh, Revi- the um, NIV, New International Version. Paul says, 14 years later I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took (laughs) Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach and with the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. And to make us slaves, we did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might uh, remain with you. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his precious word this morning. Before uh, Saul, as he was known in those days, before Saul of uh, Tarsus was uh, converted to Christianity on the gospel on the Damascus road by meeting with Jesus, before he became an apostle, before he was uh, commissioned by the church at Syrian Antioch, and before he set out on that first missionary journey to the region of Galatia, before he preached the gospel to the Galatians and before he wrote this letter to a church in trouble, Jesus told a a parable to his disciples that's recorded in Matthew's gospel in chapter 13 from verse 24 where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burnt, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barns. Now these words of Jesus, of course, proved uh, so prophetic to the situation that 
the Apostle Paul is facing here in writing to the Galatians. A church full of uh, good seed, people who had received the message of salvation with joy and gladness, but a Christian community that had not been watchful, that had not been mindful and, uh, of an enemy that uh, wanted to ruin their testimony and their witness. An enemy who would sow doubt and confusion through wrong and legalistic teaching, a church that would allow legalistic weeds, thorns to sprout up, choking the Christians of their joy and confidence in the gospel of free grace. Jesus warned his disciples this was a, a problem, this was something the church would need to contend with until the harvest time because it would not always be possible to identify the tares, the false teachers uh, as opposed to the true believers. You know, often say that, uh, you know, it, the, the, the Judaizers were those who, who looked the part and, and there are a lot of people in churches today and they, they look the part, they talk in the language, they carry the Bibles, they dress in the religious gear, they use religious language, they sing religious songs, they look the part but there are tears, underneath it all they are heretics. And then you've got the other side, of course, you've got those who don't appear as if they're Christians at all. And, uh, you know, they, you think, well, you know, is this person really a Christian? And they go through a, a number of years where you're questioning whether they're believers or not. And then gradually you begin to realize that they, they are Christians and they, 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 they come out and they, they, are, they, they become strong Christians in the, in the long term. But in the short term, they didn't appear to be Christians at all. They used to say that um, you look at your Sunday school class, you look at the, the worst kid in your Sunday school class, he's probably going to be the pastor. He's probably going to be the pastor. He's the one who's sort of rebellious and uh, really working things out, thinking things out, challenging everybody around him and yet he's probably the person who's going to end up uh, being the the, the, the pastor. You're not able to tell always who's going to be a Christian, who is a Christian, who isn't a Christian, who's in the faith, who's out of the faith. These are things that uh, at the end of the day Jesus himself is the one who knows. That Make sure that we don't tear up the good seed. Make sure that you don't uh, uh, discourage those who are a bit rebellious because uh, they can be the very best of Christians in the long term. I've seen, I've seen churches do that. I've seen churches criticize, uh, you know, young people come in, they come in in their jeans, they come in uh, dressed in a certain way, and they, they get, the, they get the, 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 the looking, other people looking down their nose at them and uh, criticizing them and uh, not talking to them and, uh, and shunning them. And how sad that is, because who do you, who, how do we know whether that person isn't going to be the very best of Christians, that God hasn't got his hand upon that person's life? So that's what Jesus is saying. He's warning us, be careful, don't make those decisions, because there will come a time when those things will be, will be clear. Now Jesus warned that this would be a, a problem, that it was something that the church would need to contend with until the harvest time. Because it would not always be that easy to uh, check, see who were the believers. Only at harvest time would the fakes be revealed and separated from the, the genuine. And these Judaizers would receive the 
condemnation that the Apostle Paul has already pronounced upon them way back in the first chapter there saying that they are to be truly condemned uh, let them be he says eternally condemned now Paul begins the second chapter then he says then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem this time with Barnabas I took Titus along also I went up in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach amongst the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure, he says, I was not running and had not been running in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. The matter arose because some false believers, he said, had infiltrated our ranks to spy out our freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He said we didn't give in to them for a moment. We didn't, we didn't discuss with them. We didn't, we didn't debate with them. We didn't say, well, let's see if we can find some sort of compromise. Let's see if we can, you know, be brothers together. He says, I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to take time to argue with them because they're, they're wrong and you don't do that with people who are wrong like these Judaizers were. You know, as a pastor over the years, I've seen a lot of people who, uh, who, who have uh, Watchtower magazines in their houses and I say, why did you have that Watchtower magazine? Oh, well, this nice, this nice lady came round, or this nice couple came round, and we had a nice Bible study together, and we, we talked about the gospel, and I explained what I believed, and they explained what they believed, and we shook hands, and we called one another brother and sister, and we let them go out. That is not the way that we treat those who come with a, a gospel that is other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John says that if people come to you like that, you give them no welcome whatsoever. You don't give them an inch because they are not bringing to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a little story, I may have told it before, I'm getting old so you have to forgive me if I tell stories, but years ago, many years ago in the, in the 60s, there were two uh, two big churches in London, probably a lot of churches in London, but two particular churches I'm going to talk about. And one of them was a, a Methodist church, and the, the pastor of the Methodist church was, was uh, Donald Soper. Some of you older ones will remember Donald Soper, Lord Soper. He went into the, into the House of Lords. He was a, a Labour a labor, um, labor peer in the, in the House of Lords. And he had, a, he had a church there, and Lord Soper, or Donald Soper, he was renowned for debating. And he would go around, he would, he would take a soapbox, as it were, out into the streets, and he would stand on a, a, a speaker's corner, and he would, he would debate. He was a great debater. And he, but he never debated the gospel. He didn't believe the gospel. He didn't believe in, in, the, in, in the virgin birth. He didn't believe the gospel. He didn't believe in salvation by grace alone. But he was out there and he was up on his stand and he was talking and, and he, was, uh, he, he was out there debating, debating, debating but never debating the gospel. One lady, she went to him one day, that he was having a debate, and, uh, and she called out, she said, but, and how do I get saved? What, how do I get, get to heaven? 
Uh, and he completely ignored her, or he completely said, uh, you know, sidetracked. And then she said again, and how do I get saved? And he again ignored her and or sidetracked her. Again, she said, and how do I get saved? And he said, oh, come and see me afterwards. He was not a man that believed in salvation by grace alone. Now, the reason I say this was because there were, across London, there was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the Westminster Chapel. Uh, and the BBC thought, well, you know, it would be great, wouldn't it, if we could get Lord Soper, this, uh, or as he was, Donald Soper then, this great debater, this, this man who loved to be on, on television debating, debating, debating. It would be great to get him on television together with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones because Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, of course, was absolutely down the line, a, a Bible-believing Christian, a, a, a man of God who believed in salvation by grace alone. You, you, you see his books, he, he's an he's absolute legend within the, within the Christian church. And so they went to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and they said, we'd like you to come on television or radio, I can't remember which it was, and I want you, we want you to debate with, uh, uh, with Donald Soper. Would you do that? And Martin Lloyd-Jones says, no. No. He said, I don't debate the gospel. He said, I preach the gospel. If people want to know the gospel, I will, I will preach the gospel. If Donald Soper wants to know about the gospel, I will tell him the gospel, but I'm not going to come on his terms. I'm not going to be seen as debating the gospel. There's nothing to debate about. The gospel is clear. The gospel is sound. The gospel we know, we don't debate. And this is what Paul was saying when he, he, was, uh, he came to Jerusalem, these 14 years later. He's saying, I don't debate the gospel. I'm not going to debate the gospel with these Judaizers. I know the gospel. I will preach the gospel. If they want to know the gospel, I will tell them. I will lead them to Christ if they want that, but I won't debate the gospel. It's really important, folk, that we hold that stand and we don't get into those areas where we are seen to be unsure of our own position and uh, degrade the gospel. Now, Paul has told us in chapter 1, verse 11, that he writes that the Galatians might know for certain the truth of the gospel. And he's done that by talking about the gospel itself and, and about, the, the, about the gospel and about the messenger. He's talked about himself being a reliable messenger. But here in chapter 2 and verse 5, he says that he tells them that he, he writes that the gospel might remain with them. Notice that in, in verse 5 there, in chapter 2, verse 5, that the gospel might remain with them. You see, there was a danger that the gospel will not only become vague and become uncertain, but that it might be lost entirely. That the message would eventually be overtaken and contaminated to the point that the true gospel would be lost. And of course we've seen that in, in church life, we've seen that in church history, we've seen this in our own land. We've seen churches that began well, organisations that began well, but they failed to guard the message of the gospel. And they failed to preach the gospel sincerely and honestly and fully. Organizations that stood once for salvation by grace alone becoming contaminated by rituals and false teaching. Jesus talking in Revelation to the church at Sardis, he says this to the angel of the church at Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. 
Wake up, strengthen what remains and that is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, remember, therefore, at where you went, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. So Jesus said, talking to the Sardis church, he said, wake up, wake up, and remember what you were taught. Remember the foundations of the gospel. Remember the gospel message that you received, and don't give in, and don't uh, allow it to be compromised in any way. Now here in chapter 2, Paul now describes a second visit to the church in Jerusalem after 14 years with Barnabas and Titus, two of his companions. And he, he goes not out of uh, personal uh, necessity, and he, he goes not out of some kind of summons, but he goes, we discover, by revelation. Now, Paul and Barnabas's home church was in Syrian Antioch, the, the largest Gentile church. And, and this visit to Jerusalem seems to be the one recorded in the book of Acts in chapter 15. You can turn to it if you want, but uh, if you don't, just listen to these words. In Acts chapter 15, from verse 1 we read, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, that's the church in Syrian Antioch, and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. What a great bunch of elders Paul had in the church of Syrian Antioch. Great, great men, great men of faith. We read a little bit more about them in Acts chapter 13 when Paul is being sent out with Barnabas on that first missionary journey to the region of Galatia. Acts chapter 13, now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So that was chapter 13. And now again in chapter 15, we find these same godly men discerning the will of God by revelation, whether it was the group of uh, elders in the church that received the revelation, or whether it was the apostle Paul who received the revelation. We're not told. All we're told is that they, it was by revelation that Paul goes up. Paul, of course, was uh, very common. It wasn't unusual for Paul to have revelation. In fact, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, the Bible tells us that Paul was given a thorn in the flesh because he had so many revelations, he might uh, not be the humble man that God wanted him to be. 
So, uh, so, so there we are. So, so here are these um, godly men sending out these disciples, these apostles to, uh, to uh, Jerusalem. Now this is 14 years after uh, that brief 15-day visit that we read about and uh, considered in chapter 1. And it's remarkable, after 14 years, 14 years there are no theological differences in spite of all the pressures from other religions, despite all the pressures from the cults, despite all the pressures from the philosophies, that the church remains strong and the church remains united and focused on the true message of the gospel. We read that Paul and others were immediately received and welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders. The idea that there were divisions uh, still existing between Jerusalem and Antioch were completely dispelled. Much of the despair of the Judaizers who were trying to create that wedge between Paul and the other apostles. Now we read here that Paul presents to the church in Jerusalem the gospel that he preaches to the Gentiles. He is in no doubt about the gospel that he preaches, but acknowledges that even he needs some affirmation and encouragement in the work. Now Paul preaches the gospel we read here, that he preaches to the Gentiles. And when Paul preached to the Gentiles, he preached into a Gentile culture. So the message that Paul preached to the Gentiles had a different slant on it than the message that he preached to the Jews. Paul would often go and preach in the, in the synagogues. When he went into the synagogue, he knew he was preaching to Jews and he would preach in a way that was appropriate for the Jews. But when he preaches to the Gentiles, he preaches in a way that is appropriate for the Gentiles. Now you may remember the story in, in, in Acts chapter 15, sorry, Acts chapter 17, where, where Paul goes to Athens and there he sees uh, this statue to the, to the unknown God, to an unknown God. And so Paul takes it from that point and he begins to talk to the Gentiles there about this unknown God. He said, this God that you don't know, I'm going to declare him to you. And he preaches in an appropriate way to the Gentiles. Now there could have been people in Jerusalem who thought, well, you know, this isn't, this is, this isn't acceptable. This isn't, this isn't the gospel the way I like to hear it. This isn't the gospel, the, the things I like to hear in the gospel. This is a gospel presented in a different way. I, I don't like that. I, I, and you know, it's really important because the, the, the thing is that the, the church of Jerusalem accepted that when Paul preached to the Gentiles, he was going to preach in a different way. And that was because some people just don't get that. You know, down through the years in, in, in the church, you know, when we were younger... <laughs> You know, we, we would hear the gospel appropriate to us as young people. But the older generation would say, we can't have the gospel like that. Well, some people would say that. You can't have the gospel like that. You can't, you can't have it like that because, because it's not the way we're used to it. You don't preach the gospel like that. You preach it like this, the way we've always done. But Paul says here, no, no, no. He said, you, 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 you adjust the gospel to your, to your congregation. We used to... You, and some of you here, you would, you would have enjoyed rock music, gospel rock music years ago. Now, now people would say, you, you can't listen to that. that, that that's gospel rock music. You, you, you know, the, you, that, that's not the way to do it. 
I tell you, it was the way to do it. It was the way to reach the generation that was, uh, was finding being in church very difficult. You know, in recent times, I, I've listened to rap music now. Rap music is so fast. You know, at first I thought, wow, how can they, they ever get a, uh, get, get a message out of rap music? But you know, I, I began to listen to some of this rap music and I began to realize that the gospel was being preached through that rap music in the same way that the, the gospel, the same message was getting out as it was if you'd have stood in a pulpit and, uh, and preached a message. You see, it, 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 it's age appropriate and, and it's situation appropriate and we need to be people that understand that. We need to be a people that don't criticise and don't say, oh, well, it's always been done this way, therefore we've got to keep doing it that way. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when you preach to Gentiles, you preach in this way. When you preach to Jews, you preach in this way. When you preach to young people, you preach in this way. When you preach to kids, you preach in this way. There are all kinds of different cultures and situations, and we need to be people that understand that. And we need to be people that if we may not like it ourselves, we may, you may never like rap music. I don't think I'll ever really like it. <laughs> Far too quick for me, you know. But the fact of the matter is, I know that young people are being blessed by it. I know that young people are hearing the gospel through it. I know that people are being saved through the message of that, of that uh, message. So that's really, really important. So up until now, now and up until now, the, 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 the Judaizers have been have been lurking in, in, in the shadows, as it were, because they 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 don't like to come into the light. You know, the, the Bible says that if you if you are people of darkness, you don't want to be seen in the light. And these Judaizers, they were they were lurking in in, in the shadows. They were they were whispering their heresies. And preaching their ideas when when Paul and others were not around them to confront them, and this is, and this is sadly the, the case very very often in churches today. You know, when the pastor's gone or the elders are gone and they're not around, then then that's when these sort of uh, voices and these sort of strange ideas come out, and uh, people get into all kinds of difficulties and confusion. Oh, we don't we don't want we don't want the pastor, we don't want the elders, we don't want the, we don't want certain Christians to be with us because they'll challenge us about what we're saying, what we're thinking, and what we're doing. We'll, we'll have this little meeting in the in the shadows so that people won't be able to criticize us. Second Timothy chapter three, the apostle Paul speaking to young pastor Timothy, he says, but mark this, he says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, uh, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their ways into the homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now the account in Acts chapter 15, and the account that we were reading a little bit earlier on, we continue there from verse 5. When some of the believers, we read, who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips 
the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purifies their heart by faith. <coughs> now then, why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, says Peter, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Very, very emphatic. The Judaizers didn't seem to understand or they didn't seem to know that Peter had already received the, 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 the revelation in respect to the Gentiles and already gone and preached to the Gentiles. He'd gone and preached to Cornelius, you remember, in, in chapter 10 of the book of Acts. A Gentile Roman centurion and, and he fully accepted salvation by grace and his family and, and Peter accepted them fully as part of the of the church. Peter speaking to Cornelius, we read in Acts chapter 10 verse 32, he says, he that is Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message that is um, in the household of Cornelius. The circumstance, the, the circumcised believe, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So Peter confirms the gospel of grace, the gospel by grace alone. He condemns the Judaistic, legalistic teachers and he ends with those emphatic words no we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are James Peter John gave to Barnabas and Paul the right hand of fellowship a, a solemn testimony of friendship and it's hard to imagine it's hard to imagine a more total humiliation or defeat for the Judaizers at the very centre of Christianity. They had used Jerusalem as their supposed platform for preaching their teaching. They had used James as their supposed champion, claiming that they came from him with his authority and his blessing. Now they have been publicly humiliated and defeated and the bond of fellowship between Paul and Jerusalem had been firmly expressed. That was a bad day for the Judaizers. That was a bad day for the heretics. That was a bad day for anybody who believes that salvation is not by grace alone, completely bought and completed through the cross of Calvary. Now this particular battle had been won, but the war would drag on, drag on down through the centuries to this very day. The enemy is still today sowing weeds 
The damaging heretical messages are, are still being heard. Christians are still being discouraged and, and choked and robbed of the joy and certainty of their salvation. The church is still falling asleep, tolerating and, and failing to deal with these wrong teachings that we find rising up so quickly and suddenly within the church. Churches are still closing down with their spiritual fields so overgrown and contaminated with heretical weeds that they are no longer relevant. Thank God for Paul and Barnabas, for those godly elders at Antioch and for the churches in Jerusalem and Antioch standing firm against the onslaught Jesus warned would come. May we seek as Christians to be to emulate that example. Just in closing, Jesus would later go on to explain in further detail the parable that he told in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, the words that we read at the beginning there. Then he, Jesus, left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. May God bless his word to our hearts. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the words of Jesus. We thank you for this Galatian epistle. We pray that the things that you have taught us today, that we will hold firm in our hearts, that we may be those who will defend the church, defend the gospel, defend the message until you come, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.